Would you turn with me tonight to Psalm 107? 107, one of the later number of psalms. There are many I've talked about, many I haven't yet. 107 is uh, dedicated to the redeemed of the Lord in Israel, and of course is uh, wonderfully set for the children of God in this present dispensation too. And it's dedicated to those who are redeemed from captivity. And uh, the psalmist here compares them uh, to travelers lost in a desert in one portion, and that's the fourth to the ninth verse. Then from the tenth to the sixteenth, he compares them to prisoners in iron bondage. In 17 to 22, to that of sick men and then 23 to 32, to that of mariners lost in a tempest tossed in sea, at sea. So it has to do greatly with the redemption of those who really love the Lord and yet have wandered away. Now this undoubtedly is, uh, by and large, the great lot of Christianity, I would think, that... Uh, there is little of the great fire of God in the hearts of Christians. Here we are, living in the last days, and yet uh, the fire of the Lord seems so lacking in the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, as we read this psalm, or take parts of it, we may not get too far into it, but you'll see what I mean about the lack of fire in the children of God. And this is the great lack of the church today. Of course, the lack is tied in with many other things. I have to say this. The lack of fire in the church is attached to the church's worldliness in general. In other words, the church has, without hardly recognizing it, when I speak of the church now, I'm not speaking of Franklin Avenue. I'm speaking of the members of the body of Christ. Without realizing it, they have become enamored of this age of affluency and money and everything else. And in, in times of prosperity, in times of great affluency, the church is at its minimum. This is the, this is the record of history that where money is abundant, the church is at its minimum power. Because it seems the more money people get, the more they can do. The more they're able to, what should I say, enjoy themselves. But the more we enjoy ourselves, the less we have of the joy of the Lord. And this is uh, not just for this generation. This is for all the generations. This is, has been the condition. And... Uh, in uh, Israel here, as we look at Israel, speaking of the redeemed of the Lord, uh, we see their thankfulness of heart. And certainly we're thankful for what we have in Jesus Christ. How could we help but be thankful? Sin's forgiven. Could anything compare with this? You can't purchase this. You can't buy sins forgiven. You can't buy off judgment. There's no possibility. So sin's forgiven and, and death taken care of for us so, so that we, we know that 
death has been placed aside as far as the child of God is concerned. Death is the stepstone to life for us. As I've said often, no one looks forward to dying. This is, is silly where I hear these kind of things, though death is nothing. Remember, death is still an enemy. We're told that in the Scripture, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. And the dying process is never easy. But death itself is the stepstone to heaven. Once we've passed through that, the shadow of the valley of death, heaven is ours. It's ours to possess. And so the redeemed of the Lord here in Israel, I'll read a portion of it and then we'll talk about it. Psalm 107, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. You know, I... I suppose, uh, how much do you really thank the Lord? You know, we're always asking. We ask for this and we ask for that. And I think that many times we get answers to our prayers and we may have asked for months and one little thank you seems to be enough. And yet uh, our heart should really be pouring out gratitude all the time to the Lord for his keeping power over us, that uh, whether we live or we die, we belong to Christ. Uh, this uh, tremendous thankfulness, this uh, gratefulness of heart is so lacking. The thankfulness for all that Jesus has done, uh, oh, that it would be consciously spoken of in our lives. How often have you undoubtedly said, maybe in your car or uh, You've escaped an accident, like, not like uh, Pastor uh, Price's son, but you've been in a very close one. And uh, I would think the first utterance of your heart is, if you're a Christian, thank you, Lord. You can't help it. It just it wells up from your heart. I know that's how it is with me in the car. If, I, if there's a little close one and, you know, someone cuts into something and, and, and you have to quickly use your hands and your mind, and I just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, because I feel that the Lord is right there with me. I know he's there, and I'm just conscious that the praise should always be to the Lord Jesus. There's so many areas in life, aren't there, where we should be thankful. Uh, we as a nation here, uh, when we think of what we have, the food on our tables, why, the kings of old had nothing like we do at a common meal. Why, when they used to bring, you know, and I, listen, even when I was a boy, to have an orange was a treat in the wintertime. I mean it. Whoever got oranges is when I was a boy. They didn't refrigerate stuff and get them into the city. It was a treat. Fruit was a treat. Today, we don't even think about that, you know. I mean, we have, we have everything, you know, just abundant. I don't think that, that uh, like our children, uh, how could they possibly understand uh, when you see uh, years ago, say 50, 100 years ago, uh, when they did all of the labors, uh, I thank God all you women have so many, you know, what do you call them, labor-saving devices. But uh, when I hear the stories of some of the, say, grandmothers here tell me about their, their folks, their Christian parents, and, 
And what they had to do, it's, it's hard to honestly believe how they got their children educated, how they got to church on Sunday and never missed anything, and it was all by horse and buggy, and how they did all the chores. And, uh, well, I see someone here who bakes bread regularly tonight, but uh, how they baked their own bread. <laughs> they did all these different things, you know, and uh, it amazes me as I look back. And then I think, uh, are we really thankful? And may I ask this? The other thing that I think about is what are we doing with all the time we're saving? Where's all the saved time? Everybody says we've got a lot of time-saving devices. Suddenly you say, what are you doing for the Lord? I don't have time. So we must have we're thrown in a lot of other things, you see. When we began saving uh, time, we began to throw in a lot of other things that we found we could do to occupy our time. Now, if we really were on fire for the Lord, there would be that desire then to take some of the saved time and use it for Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that you aren't using some of your time for Jesus Christ, but I would venture that uh, the amount of time we waste would be tremendous if we ever recorded it. I often have thought that it would be an interesting experiment if all of the people in the church recorded. Like uh, when I was uh, working in New York, we had what we called, uh, when I was with the telephone system, we had what we called timesheets. You remember, you, you still know, don't you, Carl? Uh, there are several telephone men here tonight. And uh, the timesheets recorded, supposedly, I have to say that, frankly, supposedly how you spent every minute of your time all day. And they would run it maybe for a couple of months, timesheets, the whole eight hours to be accounted for, 15 minutes on this, 20 minutes on that, you know. And I often think, suppose all the church took their waking hours and recorded what they did and then looked at it at the end of the week. I think nearly everybody would be a little ashamed one week's time, 21 hours television. <laughs> Scriptures, one week, one hour and a half. Say, Lord, no, it can't be. I'll have to go over this thing again. Yeah? Isn't it true? It's true. If we really recorded the time that we spend in such ways, and it might be good to check up some time on yourself. Just take a week. Record how you spend your time, whether it's spent in the things of God portion of a good portion. In other words, I'm not expecting that anybody can spend all their time. I realize this. But a reasonable amount of time. If we say in the Scripture that we're to present our bodies unto God, a living sacrifice, a reasonable sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, we're supposed to present it to him, then what do you do with your time if you present your body? I don't know how you separate the two. How do you present your body without giving your time? It's not possible, you see. So that when we say, present your bodies unto God, then you're also going to involve time with your body. You can't present your body and then use all your time for yourself. 
So there must be this presentation of ourselves. And when we give thanks unto the Lord for all that we have as a people, as a nation, as Christians, we should be very careful in thanking the Lord that we understand here exactly what it's saying to us. Give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Now I want to say something here that, that should be very clear. Number one, he's the only good one. The scripture says there is none good, no, not one. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. In other words, in mankind there's none good. There is but one good. Jesus says, why callest thou me good? Only God is good. Putting them in the position where they had to recognize him as God if they called him good. So he is the good one. He is the perfect one. And his mercy endureth forever. He had to be good. He had to be, as he said, only God is good. He had to be God manifest in the flesh. He had to be perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, to be the sinless Lamb of God that would shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. There could be no sin in him. There had to be that absolute righteousness in Jesus Christ to present himself to the Father as the one who was the perfect Lamb of God, without spot, without blemish, presented unto God for our salvation, dying in our place. But it says his mercy endures forever. And may I say this, if we must be very conscious of God's mercy, listen, if it weren't for God's mercy, not one of us would be saved here tonight. God's mercy is that which has saved our souls. He's been merciful to us. God in his mercy, the scripture says, hath concluded the whole world under sin that he might have mercy upon all. His mercy endureth forever. And you know that word forever is a very important part of his mercy because I want to say this, although you are saved tonight, although you know Christ as your personal Savior, unless God's mercy endures forever, you'll not be saved in all finality because it wouldn't matter from one day to the next. You'd never enter the kingdom of heaven unless his mercy is continual to you. You're redeemed in the blood of Christ, but his mercy has to look future and has to see every single sin you commit after you're saved and has to recognize that he is the high priest of your profession in him. And he is the one who ever lives to make intercession for you. He is the one who is the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who made propitiation for our sins. He is the one to whom we can go and confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the mercy must endure forever. And there's not one here that doesn't need that forever mercy. Not one of us could be sustained one day without that mercy that endures forever. And then too, beloved, if thinking of that mercy that endures forever, it makes me think to myself, how can any say then that there's the possibility of after salvation never sinning again? 
John in his epistle to believers says, He that saith he hath no sin is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And he's not speaking to the unsaved. He's speaking to the saved. He's saying if the truth came to dwell in your heart, all the truth will do, and that is Christ himself, will make you absolutely, deeply more conscious than ever of the sinfulness of your being, so you'll cry out with Paul and look in yourself and say, I'm in the chief of sinners and the least of the saints. You will see yourself for what you are, you are, and you will know that it is His everlasting mercy, His enduring mercy that continues your salvation because not one single day would pass without God's mercy upon you that you could sustain your salvation. No possibilities. Absolutely none. So he says here, Give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. And why is He good? because his mercy endures how long? Forever. There's your eternal salvation. Did his mercy save you? Why, of course it did. How long does his mercy endure? Forever. It's not short term. It's forever. And so this glorious mercy, oh, to be thankful unto God, because of that eternal blessed mercy which he has given unto us. Then, beloved, too, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, what is he saying? He follows that up, you see. He says, now his mercy endures forever. What is he saying? You have absolute security in Jesus Christ. Why don't you have the joy of the Lord? Why don't you have a smile on your face? Why don't you have great vigor in the things of Christ? His mercy is everlasting to you. It's only by His grace that you're saved. Now, He says, if you really believe that, if you believe His mercy is enduring forever and ever and ever, then say so. And that'll get you talking to others about Christ. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why, if you have this so great salvation, that's what it is, this so great salvation, the psalmist says, now, if you know this, if you are thankful unto the Lord because he is good and you understand that his mercy endures forever concerning you, then say so. Not only, number one, in thankfulness to God. That's thanksgiving but the psalmist wants it to be thanks living for you and for me. And that's different. To separate the one from the other is a tragedy. To be giving thanksgiving to God for all his mercy, but not to be thanks living in your life day by day so that the redeemed of the Lord are saying so. May I ask you something? When did you last say so? You have it, you possess it. I think it said well in the epistles, work out your own salvation. It was God's to give to you. It became yours when you possessed it. God gave it to you as a gift. Now it's yours. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
saying so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Sin, the enemy. Death, the enemy. Hell, the enemy. And you've been delivered. Say so. Say so. Why do you think we have such joy in the visitation work? Because the redeemed of the Lord are saying so. Oh, that there'd be that bubbling up within our souls of thanksgiving. I would to God that the minds and the hearts of the people of this church would be so transformed that they would just yearn to say so to the neighbor on the right and the neighbor on the left and the man in the office and somehow to get that testimony in and have that pocket filled with tracks and have them in there and give them out and be on the trains and lay them on the seats and put them in the washrooms and, and begin to do something. There's lots of tracks out in the racks out there. Take some with you. Use them. If you're too timid to hand it to them, when you get up in the Long Island train, lay it on the seat. And it, you can be sure when you walk out here, pick it right up and read it. You've done it yourself. You wonder what you leave it there for. What is that thing? Pick it up. Say so. We say so in so many ways, don't we? We say so by our life as Christians in our own homes. You're saying so as a redeemed soul. Mother, father, are you saying so to the children? This is where you start. He that neglecteth his own is worse than an infidel. Now, beloved, I would take the first neglect to be spiritual. I would take the temporal neglect to be secondary. Bad as it is. I would take the first neglect of a mother and father to be spiritual. Have you neglected with the children in the spiritual realm? Are you saying so? You know what this mercy is, enduring forever. Are you imprinting it into the hearts of your son and your daughter? Are you spending a little time in doing it? If you can spend time looking at the sports pages, if you can spend time watching television, if you can spend time in a hundred other things, you ought to be able to spend a little time with your own flesh and blood to say so and be thanking the Lord for the redemption that you have and the blood that cleansed you from sin and to spend that time in tearful prayers that God's salvation and the life of Christ might be implanted into the hearts of your children that they might live for Jesus. But I want to say first it has to begin in the mother and father who are the examples of what Christ is to the children. Oh, we have a lot to go, don't we? Huh? We have a lot to go. Let the redeemed of the Lord so, say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. He's redeemed you for something. Oh, he redeemed you to take you to heaven. Yes, that'll come. But he redeemed you for a purpose. And that purpose he has stated clearly in Acts 1.8 when he said, And ye shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Ye shall be my witnesses. Beloved Christian, when did you last say so? 
I hope you don't mind me pinpointing you. When did you last say so? Each one has to answer in their own heart. Or have you ever said so? That's another thing. You know, when I read statistics put out by Billy Graham's Evangelistic Committee, that 95% of Christians have never won a soul to Jesus Christ. And that the 5% have won all the souls to Christ. My heart shudders. When I think of what might have happened had the fire of the Holy Ghost descended upon a people and into the hearts, and they, had they not allowed Satan to deceive them, had they not allowed the world to enamor them, had they had a view of why they were here and what creation is and the whole purpose of God to get a family for himself, that's all it is. It's nothing else. Everything else will pass away. And when I think of the Lord Jesus giving himself, when he says to us, my mercy endures forever, oh, your thankfulness, I need that, I want that so much from your heart. Yes, that thankfulness is important. But, oh, I want not only thanksgiving, but thank-living. Let the redeemed, let my own say so. Whom he hath redeemed. Notice that. He lets you know what redemption is, you see. He says, whom he hath redeemed, and then he says, and redeemed from the enemy. And, oh, once we really see ourselves as having been cleansed in the blood of Christ, having that glorious freedom where Jesus says, whosoever the Son shall make free, he is free indeed. Have you felt that freedom of your soul? Does your soul take flight to heaven and in the presence of Jesus Christ because you're a free man? Are you free of all the little complaints of life? Are you free of the concerns and the worries? Are you free of all the little annoyances? Do you allow all these things to pile in upon you so that the testimony that you should have as a ringing testimony for Jesus is never seen? Are you free? Jesus says, whosoever the Son shall make free, he is free indeed. Free of what, Lord? Just what I've said here. I've redeemed you from the hand of the enemy. Satan has no power over you. Sin has no power over you. Death has no power over you. Life is yours. You're a free man. You are under the bondage of sin. It's been broken. Now live like a free man in the free expression of your faith and bear that testimony for Christ as God desires you to. If there's one thing I pray, I pray that the Holy Spirit would put a passion into your hearts for the souls of others in the last days. If these are the last days, this whole church, your burden of your prayers on your knees at night, beloved, if I can plead with you to do this, on your knees every single day, pray for one thing. Give me a passion like Christ. First for my family, then for those that I call my friends. And give me the courage and the strength to say so. Christ. Oh, may God do that. If God would do that, imagine what would happen. You know, some figures rather astound me sometimes. 
95% of all the preaching heard in the world today is heard by 5% of the people in the world. Ninety-five percent of all preaching goes to English-speaking people, not to the rest of the world. Five percent of the men who are preaching the gospel are preaching to every other language under the sun. Amazing figures put out by the IFMA mission board. Just imagine if we got the fire of God in our hearts and yearned that we might begin to be ambassadors for Christ wherever we go to others and then that they'd begin to get out to this world lost in sin. In the whole world, there are approximately one billion Christians now, so-called, out of three billion. Of the one billion between the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox Church, 700 million. The other 300 million involve the Protestants. Out of a population of 3 billion, over 3 billions in the world today. Beloved, why? because we have not had the passion of Christ fall upon us with great power like it did in the days of the disciples that they went out and proclaimed this glorious news of the gospel and yearned for the souls of men. Oh, that God would give you a passion. Stir your heart up. You know what the devil would do? Keep you quiet. He's been doing it for centuries, keeping the church quiet. Don't get too active. Don't get too involved. Be careful. You know, it may take a lot of your time. But I want to tell you, that time will be given back to you a hundredfold for all eternity. A hundredfold. And with great glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for thy precious word tonight. We pray that we might be grateful. You've said that here, that we're to be thankful. The Lord is good, and we know your mercy endures forever on us. But in view of that, you've said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If we've experienced your mercy, Lord, help us to say so. How selfish to keep it to ourselves. If eternal life is all involved only with Christ and him alone, as it is, then, Lord, help us to say so. There are souls all around us who are dying without Christ, who don't know what they're really looking for. Life doesn't seem to have much for them. And yet we say nothing because we're quite content. We're saved and we're bound for heaven. And Christ is coming soon. And we're going to have glorified bodies. And, oh, it's, it's so wonderful. But, Lord, we have to remember there is a judgment seat of Christ. 
where we have to answer for everything we've done since we're saved. Oh, the sin question's taken care of. But how about our lives? What have we done as Christ yearned to live through us and was denied the right to his own body which he purchased with his blood? We remember that Paul said, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, worship God in your bodies. Now, Father, we pray that we might give to thee a portion of that time which you've given us. We remember the scripture says, redeem the time, for the days are evil. And we pray that we might redeem it, and we might remember that the redeemed of the Lord ought to say something about this great mercy that God has given us that endures forever. And to remember that he has redeemed us from the evil one, from sin, from death, from hell. In Christ's name we pray, amen.